So today, I already uh, told, I think, Pierce, he's the only one I think I said that, but I said in front of the praise team there, that uh, a couple of the points may be edgy for you, especially as a Baptist. Some of you might go, where is he going? Because I'm going to start off with a popular beer commercial that I'm not going to play because I don't don't want, because if I do it, then some of you would be like, play more and more, because they were. And and why is it that so many beer commercials are so entertaining? I mean, why can't we get a good one for First Baptist Church of Helotus and people will go, wow, I got to go check that out, just like this guy who is the most interesting man in the world (laughs) gives advice to his own father. You know, that, that, if you remember those commercials, and I cannot pronounce the beer name because I really can't. It's like, I want to say Dos Equis. Is that correct? Close to? Yeah, my wife corrected me like multiple times. Like she really knows because neither one of us had ever purchased it or consumed it. But in any event, his standard line at the very end is, you know, I don't drink this very often, but when I do drink this, I drink this. And he says to you, what's the final thing he says? Stay thirsty, my friend. That is, the, that, that is the complete opposite of what Jesus is telling us today. He doesn't say stay thirsty. He says come if you are thirsty and drink from my living well of life, of water. So thirsty is the title this morning. As I think about this text today and as I... We've been working our way through John since the beginning of the year, and we're now on the seventh chapter. We are now on the fourth sermon of the Feast of Tabernacles. I started that in the first, part, first verse of chapter 7, and now four sermons into it to get through this. You know, backing up, I tried to back you up last, last week. Jesus didn't go. His, his brother said he should go, and they were waiting to kill him there, and he said, it's not my time. And then he does go, and he teaches them. He really kind of schools them with some advice. And then last week, he was in the temple, and they're rejecting him. They don't really want to take him, and it's just, you know, return to cinder was the theme there. Today, he is back at the last day of the feast. And he cries out to the crowd. And as he cries out, and I'll read these verses to you in a few minutes, I kept thinking of chapter 4, when he is with the woman at the well. And I named her, anybody remember that sermon? I gave all these characters names. And in church history, she does have a name. Anybody remember what I called her? Oh, very good. Somebody took notes, or at least they knew it already. Fatina, P-H-O-T-I-N-A, which kind of means like light, and she was the light to her community of the Samaritans there. But if you go back to chapter 4, he's asked this woman for water, and he basically tells her that if you knew who was asking, you would have sampled his living water. And she says, where can I get this living water? I'm at verse 11 of chapter 4 and verse 13. He says, everyone who drinks this water, this from Jacob's well, if you will, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, I grew up about eight miles as the crow flies from the Mississippi River. And my friends and I would go over there on occasion and, I don't know, try not to get in trouble, but be stupid as young men will do. Right now, I think there are parts that you can almost walk across. The Mississippi River, uh, if you haven't noticed it on the news, is one of its lowest points. It's just for sure the lowest point in 10 years. It's one of the lowest points in like the past 100 years. I think it's in the top seven right now. And if you know 
our economy, commerce, is based on those barges going up and down. If you're in New Orleans, uh, they, it's been on the news. I looked at multiple YouTube clips to play for you, and I thought, well, they don't care about that. Ask Wade. And I meant to ask you before church, can you get from your deck at Medina to the water? Or you have to jump down on the dirt and then, you know, at the lake? several football fields before you get to the water. So most of us know, and if you grew up here and you live here very long in San Antonio, you know of the Edwards Aquifer, and you have rode the roller coaster of, you know, stage one, stage two. Are we, we're in stage two right now, correct? How many of you are watering your lawn every day? I'm going to write you up and send you a ticket. Unless it's a aerator septic system like I have, and I guess then it's a green always, but in any event, we know this idea of being thirsty, but I don't want you to get like these guys, so I had to find a commercial for you, so here you go. Can you guys bring the lights down just a little bit? There you go. Thank you. What you doing? Thirsty. Lemon, lemon, lemon. Lemon, lemon, lemon. It's a good lemon soda. <laughs> and I don't want it to go too far. I think it's, it's not profane, but it's just a little bit too. Okay, that, you can stop there. You get my point, what he's getting ready to do. <clears throat> Our world is physically and spiritually thirsty, and I want you to know that only Jesus can satisfy. So if you have your Bibles, chapter 7, verse 37, where we'll start, and we'll go to verse 44. And this, perhaps, of all the texts, maybe not all, but up to this point, you will see different words on the screen. I, I read from NIV, and I use the old NIV, which Dan and Pierce have to always fight if I change it. I think Pierce uses ESV, and whatever one we have paid for is not always the one I'm reading from. But in any event, if you have King James, you will hear different words. And if you have the Revised Standard Version, which came out probably in the 50s, you'll have different words. And I'll, I'll pull those out for you, I think, if I go through here. On the last and greatest day of the feast, and we'll talk about that, whether it was the seventh day or the eighth day, because it was a seven-day feast, but there actually was an eighth day to follow that they celebrated. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, a uh, better translation would be cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of water will flow from within him. Ed, you got King James? Belly, belly. Anybody got Revised Standard Version? Should say heart. You know, I, I try not to bring all my Greek scholarly opinions to you because I really be, yeah, I did pass Greek, but that's about it. Um, this word is, in fact, is Ari in the back sometimes? You probably got it pulled up already. I, I think this word uh, is like kolios, which sounds a lot like colon to me. But it is a word that in the Greek, usually it's first translated uh, belly, then it's often translated heart, but it really applies to the whole person. You know, my, my wife was reminding me, it's through the, how do you win the heart of a man? Through his belly, you know, fix him banana pudding like his mama used to fix him, and you know, you got to, so there you go. So out of the, and, and the, other, the other word that I think I love the King James better at this point Streams of water, I'd rather hear rivers of water will flow within him or from him. 
Verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. That'll be an interesting word we'll come back to in a bit. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of him. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we look at a text that has so much in it for us this day, I pray we would not leave this place without having tasted the living water. Don't leave, let us leave thirsty in our spiritual and physical lives, for Christ will satisfy, unlike the things that the world offers. So speak to each one of us. Open our hearts for the words that you have for these, your people, today. And I ask all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You know, the water that Jesus promised us today is the Holy Spirit. In His presence, in a relationship with Jesus, we find the love and grace and the quenching of the thirst of our souls. Now, not at a bar, not at a tavern or a nightclub. And it's funny, as I, you know, as I, I try to think, I try to be intentional on a case. I know most of you don't think he's ever intentional, but I try to be intentional on some of the words I choose. But I got to thinking how we dummy down the words for bar, tavern, and nightclub. We call them watering holes, ice house, bistro. I mean, all these things are far more palatable to the, you know, non-drinkers like some of us. And we do the same thing in church. So I found myself going, we don't say Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist anymore. We say house of grace, full Bible. I don't know. You, you fill in the blank of a church that doesn't have a denomination in it because the church is trying to reach those who are offended by the title. Just like the bar is trying to affect those that are offended by alcohol. Hmm. That's a sermon for another day. But whether you are a teetotaler or a frequent flyer at a nightclub, or bar, or tavern, or any of those I mentioned, you will know the first point. Open bar. I want somebody to go, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> you probably know, even, I, I, let me stop for a second. I had to look up how to spell teetotaler. I spelled it T-E-A, like Ice tea, totaler, and then like, you know, you're toting something, but that's not how you spell it. It's T, T-E-E, T-E-E, total-er. And when I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary, because, you know, I thought a teetotaler was somebody who didn't drink. But I quote, and I haven't drank in 45 years. Some of you think he drank this morning. I just drank maybe one too many cups of coffee. But it says... <laughs> It's an extremely boring and dull person. <laughs> they hate fun and should never be invited anywhere. <laughs> well, I may not call myself a teetotaler anymore. 
But an open bar means you drink for free. Someone else, the host, whoever's sponsoring it, maybe the bar itself, you know, they ring the bell, and I've seen that on TV. And that means everybody gets to drink for free. And some of you say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, well, let me, let me give you a real-life explanation. And, and Lou Ranhofer is looking down. I know that he has, he, you know, was promoted in the military multiple times. And every time there is a promotion list, all those who are promoted, that day when they find out, go to the NCO club or the officers club. And those who are promoted have to pay for the open bar. Now, thank God the chaplains are often promoted on another list. And they kind of sneak on by. But when I made major, we were on the same timing as the rest of the Air Force. And I was at RAF Lakenheath with all these fighter pilots, you know, F-15. They had F-111s first and F-15s while I was there. And they finally came around to me. You know, there's the guy who's the most senior, and you're, they go by the number, your promotion number. The guy who had the lowest number is the one who has to put together the party. And he's calling everybody to make sure, you know, can we have an unlimited open bar? Are you maxing out at 100 bucks or something like that? Because you invite the entire base of 3,000 people to the bar or whatever, you could have a very expensive bill. And the guy was so funny, I still remember, he calls me, he says, is this Chaplain Perry? And I said, uh, yes, it is. How can I help you? He said, did you get on the promotion list today? I said, yeah, man, yeah, I'm, I'm happy I'm in my office, but I'm about to go. He goes, well, there's a party tonight that we want to know if you'll participate in. And we heard that you're a Baptist uh, chaplain. I said, yeah, yeah. I said, can I drink soda? You know, Diet Coke or regular Coke? Said, oh, yeah, man, no problem. I said, we'll pay for those? And he, said, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I threw my hat into the ring with everybody else. So that was my first experience to a true up paying for an open bar. And I just want you to know, everybody that I paid for drank soda, I'm sure. <clears throat> <laughs> Jesus says on that great day, if anyone... If anyone, an open bar, is thirsty, I have paid or will pay the price. Now, it says that this take, took place on the last day of the feast. And if you're familiar with Deuteronomy 16, it says that this feast of the tabernacles is to last seven days. And in Leviticus 23, it says that this feast lasts eight days. Uh, I'm not going to try to tell you one way or the other. As I often like to answer things, I'm going to say yes to both. Because the eighth day was the day you took your booth, of ta your tabernacle down. It's kind of like, and I know some of you leave your Christmas decorations up all year, but it's kind of like the day that you take your stuff down and you put it away. And there's, there's, there's melancholy, there, there is emotion in that. You know, this is the little ornament that my Sunday school teacher, you know, whatever, gave me. Or this is the one that I gave my teacher or made in vacation Bible school, and you're putting all these things away. So there's emotion tied to it. And perhaps it's at that eighth day of emotion that Jesus steps out and says, Listen, those of you who are thirsty... Come unto me. Or perhaps it was the seventh day. Because every day during this feast, the high priest would take his posse, if you will. And I know I shouldn't dummy it down. I'm not trying to, do it. I'm not trying to belittle that. He took a group down to the pool of Siloam, which was in the center of the city. He would be followed by the praise team, singing praises the whole way. Other religious pilgrims that have come into the town, and they made this parade down to this water, and there he drew a 
Some say gold, some say silver. I read one guy said a bucket. He drew a, a container of water, and then they processed back to the temple. You follow me? So you've got a parade going to get the water, a parade coming back. This happened every day during this festival. This was the most joyous festival or feast in the Jewish calendar. Everybody was excited. It commemorated so many things. Not only the uh, time in the wilderness, but the, the newness of being in the promised land because now they had water to drink. Now they had crops. And I told you it was at the end of the year. Typically this is late September, early October, just like you know, God's perfect timing. We're preaching through this at the same time. They celebrated the olives or perhaps the grapes that were coming in, whatever the season was there at the time. And there they come back with this water. And the priest walks around the altar multiple times while those who are there waiting for it to happen are raising their hands, one with a branch. And this is all spelled out if you want to research this. Some of you who have far more Jewish knowledge than I do of the feast. But they're waving basically a branch in one hand and in the other some sort of citrus fruit. And they're shouting, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then the water is poured out. And that large uh, amount of water poured out is called I figured somebody jump up. It's a libation. That's water poured out for a deity. But in our modern language, when you hear the word libation, or even spirit, what does that often have to do with? Alcohol. Now this is not my temperance sermon. This is not my don't drink sermon, but it is my focus sermon to say, how have we messed up in so many ways that we have pursued that that would quench from anything other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? How is it that we are calling anything a spirit other than the living spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is telling us that we can receive if we truly just believe in him? Christ takes the imagery of Moses striking the rock in Numbers 20 and says, God quenched your physical thirst then. I am quenching your spiritual thirst. And it is an open bar to all. Look at verses 37 and 38. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams, I say rivers of living water, will flow from within him out of his belly, out of his heart. Greek translators have some difficulty with those words. Um, it's interesting how the NIV kind of cuts it off and solves it, and I kind of alluded to those with you, so I'll just keep on pressing here. But I want a river in my belly for the Lord. How about you? I, I want a fountain that is like, you know, I know uh, if uh, we had some others in here that are firefighters, I want the drink from the fire hose when the Lord is offering up water. So it is with the open bar that... His spirit is proof of the indwelling of Christ in your life. Jesus says that it is all joy. Look at this next verse. This is another uh, backdraft, if you will, of what Jesus was connecting with. Your joy, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. He is that joy. So what is the proof, and that's our second point today, for your joy? Look at verse 39. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. 
This is foreshadowing of Jesus' death and resurrection. John introduces a Greek verb of a noun that I knew of, uh, glory. Doxe is the Greek word for glory. And he says glorified, that God is going to glorify Jesus. As Christ is glorified, he, is do he does so through his suffering, through humiliation, through his death, and eventually his resurrection. And think about that as you read this familiar verse. Philippians 2, 8 and 9, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And I know some of you can finish the rest of it. That's where we're going. Our obedience to the Father through the Son brings the infilling of the Holy Spirit into the life of the believer. This text is often used in Pentecost Sunday uh, on many churches that follow a liturgical calendar. It is the arrival of the Holy Spirit that we find in Acts. So where is the proof in your life today? Now, I don't like telling preacher stories unless I can confirm them. Anybody, any of the preachers in here know of Mark Buchanan? I don't know where Dan is. Dan might know him. He's a Canadian, and Dan served a church in Canada for a while. He is a Canadian uh, seminary professor who pastored a, ch a church, uh, a Baptist church in uh, Canada before he was hired there uh, in British Columbia as a uh, scholar. But he tells a story, and I have to set it up, and I, I researched it multiple times. He's quoted it in books, so I'm going to say it really happened. Because, you know, sometimes preacher stories are just kind of good illustration points. But uh, he tells a story, uh, Mark, that uh, he was laying sod in his front yard. In my imagination of Canada, it should be green all the time if it's not got snow on the ground. But he said he's having a sod party. So he invited people from his church, you know, to come out and help lay sod. And he's got coffee and cinnamon rolls. His wife has made cinnamon rolls. And uh, they're entertaining as they lay sod. And he said within like an hour or two, it's all done. Because, you know, many hands make, you know, light work, blah, blah, blah. You know that, that kind of story. And he said, one of the guys said, oh, man, this is true up community. You know, this is what community is about. Working together, laying the sod, getting together. And Mark said, yeah, but we all look alike. We all go to the same church. Not, you know, we think alike. We drive the similar cars. We live in a similar community. He says, I long for a community that reaches out to the ones that are on the extreme the ones who don't look like me, the ones who perhaps don't talk like me, don't use the same language. And he says at this point, enter Wanda. And yes, it's my mother's first name, so it's not that Wanda. He says, enter Wanda, and I quote, she was thirsty. Uh, she said, she was thirsty, all right, for beer, port, rum, vanilla, extract, whatever. She only had one way to pay for it. And he said, I will let you guess what that was. And he said, and I took a phone call from her one day, and she said, I want to talk to a pastor, and I want to talk to a pastor now. He said, well, come on down. So he said, not knowing who she was, and as many pastors as they get to know people, two of them sat down with the lady, and they both started talking with her, and he introduced her to Fatina, the lady at the well, and he said, would you like to sample water like that? She goes, absolutely, where is it? He says, it's through Jesus, and right there that day, she prayed and accepted Christ. And then the other pastor said, and we'd love to have you come and join us for worship some Sunday. And if you don't feel comfortable, you know, coming in, and you can sit in the back. You could actually come in late, and, and you could leave early because I don't want you to feel like, you know, you're a sore thumb standing out. And she said, well, why would I do that? The thing that I've been looking for my whole life, you have offered to me. I, I have professed faith in him. I'll be there. 
So Mark says the next Sunday she was there, and he said she was on the front row, and he said, you know, everything I said she was in tune with. She, she didn't, had never heard amen, but she started amening, and she was like, you know, agreeing with him. And, and the next week she came back and, and brought one of her <clears throat> coworkers, and they, they both sat on the front row. And he said, you know, once again, it, it was her participatory, you know, responses were really helping his sermon. He said, I kind of enjoyed it. He said it was a, service, a sermon on servanthood. And said uh, at, at the uh, end of the sermon, it was a, a communion Sunday, and he said, you know, we all want to be living servants. And I'd asked my servant team to come forward, just as we have teams. And instead of calling deacons or elders forward, he said, my servant team. And he said, with that, there were only two that day to help serve communion. And Wanda heard servant and heard leader and helper, and so she got up to help serve communion. And he said, I, I'm sure I looked at her a little strange, but as she came with the other uh, two of his servant team, uh, he said, uh, hey, you've never done this before, so perhaps, uh, you know, I could help you assist. So he said, that day, Wanda and I, along with two other church members, served communion to the entire church. And he said, I recalled... In the passage in the Bible where Jesus is invited to a home and, and the lady who was from a uh, checkered background uh, cries over his feet and uh, wipes uh, his feet with her hair and anoints uh, his feet with perfume. He challenges his host to say, you didn't even see her. And he said, that day my congregation saw Wanda and saw the changing power of the gospel of Christ. That is proof. Proof. So, I'm trying to skip ahead because I know I'm getting a little long-winded here for some of you. <clears throat> proof, I am told, is on the side of bottles of alcohol. Uh-huh. Oh, how many of you are shaking your heads in agreement? Yeah, yeah. It is, it is. It's an American thing. Uh, in, in England, they have another, uh, I think it's, I don't know what it is. It's like three letters. I don't know if it's ADA or something like that. Uh, but it, it, it gauges the level of alcohol that's in the bottle that you're consuming. Now, I thought of the word proof because I intentionally was choosing edgy words for us today. But that is the proof score, if you will, percentage on the bottle. And what I didn't know truly, is that 100% proof, it's based on, whatever the number is, divide it by half, or divide it, you know, in half, and true up 100% alcohol, 100% whiskey or whatever you're drinking, is only 50% alcohol. And I thought, is that the same way with us as we serve the Holy Spirit and as we serve our Savior Jesus? That we say on the outside, I'm 100% all in. But when somebody truly surveys the content, we're only 50% there. What is your proof? What's on the inside? What flows from your stomach? What flows from your heart? What flows from your whole body? Are you 100% committed to Christ? So finally, we've gone from open bar, proof, and now James Bond's favorite statement. Shaken, not Thank you. Some of you are still awake. I know I have watched every Bond there is. I don't think I now own them all, but I own most of them. Um, he prefers his, and I don't even know, are there things that you make martinis with other than vodka? 
Gin, maybe. Yeah, he, he, he wants a vodka martini. And he wants it shaped. So I had to, I did Google this. I was going to play this YouTube. And I thought, man, they'll really get it after me if I do. But I guess most connoisseurs wouldn't even stir it with a metal stirrer. It would be stirred with a wooden because stirring with metal changes the temperature. And to shake it makes it a much colder and does something to those two, I don't know what else you put in, vermouth, something, and, and you know, some of you, <laughs> Cliff, how do you know so much? I just watched a lot of James Bond. But <laughs> they shake it, and, and the, the video I did watch, a James Bond martini looks different than a regular one. It's like cloudy, and it's, 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 the glass has perspi- you know, got the moisture on it because it's much colder. Now, why does he do it that way? I don't know. It's got to taste different. But Jesus had definitely shaken, but not necessarily stirred, those who listened to him that day to follow. Look at these verses. On hearing his words, I'm at verse 40, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Let's get this verse that goes with that, guys. Don't I have a verse in there? The Lord your God, this is Moses talking, the Lord your God will raise for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. So that's one classification that some people saw Jesus being, the prophet. Yet others, verse 41, said he is the Christ. And we've talked about that before. In fact, the the verses we looked at last week, some suspected that even the chief priests thought he might be the Messiah, but they didn't want to change their ways and follow him. Still others ask, how can this Christ, how can the Christ come from Galilee? And, and what I think is crazy, it, it, it's like they don't even listen to themselves or, or they have John picked out all their, I guess you would say their irony, because earlier in this chapter, he says, isn't this man they're trying to kill? We know him, he say basically. We, we know where he's from. And verse 42, does not the scripture say that Jesus will come from David's family, which he did. And he was born in Bethlehem, just like we mentioned Micah last week, the town where David lived. Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Their ignorance of really knowing Jesus was blinding them from what he was offering, thinking they knew more than the Messiah. We often follow those same detours in our life allowing the world to shake us, to stir us away from Jesus. We think we know the best, discounting our own spiritual thirst, seeking ways for the world to bring pleasure and to numb out our personal pain. James Bond wanted his martini shaken, not stirred, and we want to be stirred in Christ so that we are not shaken by the troubles to come. Our anchor, as the song says in the storms, is Jesus. We rest on the unchanging promises of God. The anchor that holds us is Christ. Now, we have an open bar invitation to draw from his living well. We have been given the Holy Spirit as our proof of who we serve. And I guarantee you, this world will shake you and stir you. But God will draw you from the water or to the water of Jesus, the Christ. Would you stand with me, please, we pray. Our Father, as we come now to a time of invitation in this service, if there's someone who the world has continued to shake and to stir, and they they feel like they need that anchor, they need that 
living water, that which quenches, that which satisfies. We pray that during this invitation time they would come. They'd step forward. We'll pray together. We'll have members of our prayer team here if there are other issues they want to pray with and pray for. Lord, we, we want this open invitation today to be felt by each heart that's here, that they would feel the living spirit calling their name, saying, come, follow me. Lord, whatever decision there is to be made, we pray that your Holy Spirit now would move in our midst, and that would be our proof to the world that we know Jesus is alive and he's powerful today. For we pray it all in his name. Amen.